You're listening to the Fueled by the Outdoors podcast, presented by Blackgate Hunting Products. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe, tell us what you think in the comment section, and leave us a review. I just hammered a good one. Drop the Asher. Never seen that deer before. It's a tough pill to swallow after having that deer at 18 yards. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Chris Leppert, co-host to tonight with Josh Luck. Hey, everyone. And we are joined tonight by CEO of Lancehead Crossbows, John Palanich. That's the one. Thank you guys for having me. No, anytime, welcome. anytime, man. So uh, tell us a little bit about the ATA, man. You, you were there for a couple days, huh? I mean, it's been a long time coming. You know, we've been in development for 10 years on this technology, and this is the first show where we're actually showing up with a product that is available for sale. I like it. So, are you a little tired? <laughs> I mean, I tell you what, man, your crew gets, uh, flights get canceled, and you're a man running the booth by yourself. You understand what work is. Oh, yeah. I couldn't believe you were running that booth by yourself. It was insane. That's, I, that's it's a lot literally of work. insane. Like, I, I'm literally a zombie of a human being right now. <laughs> hey, audience, please don't hold me accountable for anything I might say. <laughs> My attorneys, please feel free to edit whatever you don't like. <laughs> as, as I'm sure our, our listeners can hear in the background, we were actually at like a, a pizza pub. Yeah. What, let's try to this? pronounce this name. Yeah, we'll try and pronounce it. Impelizaries. Impelizaries. It's in Louisville. That's Louisville, not rule Ha, ha, ha. No, we're going to get jumped by some Kentuckians now. Mm-hmm. I, I told Josh on the way down here I was going to walk around just saying Louisville, Louisville, until somebody hit me. <laughs> so tell us a little bit uh, about how you decided to – well, first off, you know, tell us what you did before you started tinkering with crossbows, man. Yeah, so, I mean, I've always hunted – you know, all of us, we do. That's what we do. We grew up hunting, doing that stuff. And uh, so that's always with us. That's always what we actually really wanted to do before we had to go get grown-up jobs. But uh, I was a pharmaceutical executive um, for about, I don't know, 15, 16 years. And, uh, yeah, that was my adult job. Uh, and I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, be able to uh, hang that up early. So Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. So, we are going to have a server possibly interrupt us. So, uh, His name's Greg, by the way. It's not Carl. <laughs> no, and he's a good dude. I yes. mean, he's an outdoorsman. He's not oh, yeah. Carl. Well, I'm pissed. We had bets on There will be a is. show about Carl. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, listeners, if you don't goad these people into having a show about Carl, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> we had a huge discussion. It's probably for another show. <laughs> So everybody knows what we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you come to come up? How did you come up with the technology and everything? Like, tell us how you kind of discovered this, uh, thought of this and, and brought it to fruition. So, I mean, like, you know, when you're developing pharmaceutical drugs, you know, uh, you're coming up with target product profiles. It's a very long term thing. Uh, product development cycles can be as long as 15 to 20 years. It takes forever to develop that. And, 
you have to do a lot of modeling and look at the marketplace and how it's going to evolve in the future and develop a product that's going to eventually be relevant by the time you're developing it. And I, I really, but it, you know, when I had the opportunity to do crossbows, I, I treated it the same way. I, I didn't stumble across some cool little gidgety thing in the, in the garage and be like, Hey, I know this would be cool. I wish this is the way this happened. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa, I stumbled over this crossbow in the garage and, this kind of idea and hey it's a thing I, I, I literally walked in and um, with an idea about all the unmet needs that I had uh, from my experiences hunting in Pennsylvania and uh, it particularly related to my children by the way um, and uh, you know I had two boys um, and in Pennsylvania you could do mentored youth uh, so some of these states have this, you know, if the kids don't have a, a legal hunting age. I think a lot of states is like, what, 12 maybe? Yeah. Yeah. It varies by state. But. Yeah. Ohio, yeah. we don't really have one. You just have yeah. to have a hunter safety course. Yeah. When I was a boy, you know, growing up, what I did, it was 12. Um, you know, and at the time, you know, other states and at the in, back in the day, that was okay. At 12 years old now, I mean, you know, you're supposed to be specializing in baseball or whatever sport you're playing. The kids are into video games and every other thing. You really got to get these kids in, hooked into hunting and the outdoors at like six. Yeah. Problem is, if you can't get a license, what do you do? So these mentored youth programs really fill in that balance, and um, but it leaves you with some difficult options. You know, are you going to put them with a rifle at a six-year-old? That's you know, a lot of these kids are a little bit intimidated by that. So. Parents want to get them into archery, and obviously the only real option is crossbows because it can't draw a legal weight. Yeah, bow. sure. You know, 30, 40 pounds, whatever a lot of states are high. So anyway, long story short, we got the crossbow. We were living in Pennsylvania. I had a string break that left a nice little mark on my face. <laughs> and my wife's like, nope. Nope. What? Can you explain further? No. The kids aren't doing that. I'm like, honey, we got to get him out in the field now. <laughs> no. So, anyway, it led me to think, you know, if I ever get out of uh, pharmaceuticals, I'm going to build the crossbow that's going to solve a lot of the problems that, that I have. You know, I love crossbow hunting. Um, I also compound hunt, you know, still to this day. But for, for youth and, you know, what we need to do for the – our heritage and the, maintain the heritage of what we do into the future with all the challenges we have. Yeah. Uh, right? Yep. So that's how the impetus for this, this crossbow came to be. I like it, dude. So tell us a little bit about the technology sure. in this amazing-looking, nearly post-apocalyptic-looking weapon that you right. have. So, right, you... I'll start a little earlier, you know, like, how do you, how do you come up with it? You got a white sheet of paper with a bunch of ideas about what you want to do. How do you jump from that to this, mm-hmm. right? It does, there's no fairy dust. It's just hard work, and you guys got to go in and try things and, and be willing to fail mm-hmm. and actually adopt sort of an attitude of, you know, I got to learn, and if I got to learn, I got to be get, I got to get comfortable with failure, yeah. Yep. Fail faster. That was a motto of mine at one time. Wow. Yeah. So I go into the garage, you know, start tinkering, 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 tinkering. 
and this is a good story. And I, I know listeners all appreciate this. You want to you want to hear a million ways not to build a crossbow? Here's the first one. <laughs> I want to build a narrow crossbow that's safer. I know. Let's encapsulate it in a tube. And let's shoot it with a gigantic compression spring. We'll just somehow rig up something at a ratchet strap inside of a tube with a whisker biscuit attached to the end of a two-inch tube. (laughs) And we're going to ratchet this uh, compression spring down with a little seat for the arrow. Because, you know, we really don't know what we're doing. I'm not an engineer. I'm just, like, thinking, hey, 300-pound spring with a five-inch displacement on paper... That's enough energy to send this thing through an oak tree. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly, I naturally, you know, I wait for my kids to get home from school to, to, to show the kids how the future of the industry is going to be. Kids, gather around, gather around. What Dad's <laughs> got to show you. I've got this tube and this crazy, you know, ratchet strap release system, you know, and the kids are sort of standing back, a little concerned. <laughs> Watch me. I'm like, Watch this. And, uh, you know, I'm standing back. I'm sort of aiming at a tree. I'm not worried about accuracy at this point. I'm just like, watch the power. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I click this ratchet strap to unre- unleash this monstrosity. And, it, you know, the spring punches this thing in a tube. The arrow goes out about two feet off the end of it, hits the driveway, skids for 15 feet against the base of the tree. And the kids are, like, looking at me <laughs> like... Oh boy, Dad's gonna lose it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, now let's learn why we failed. And that's how you do it. That's how this kind of thing starts. Why did it fail? Why does why can't you directly launch arrows off of a 300 pound spring? And then you begin the learning process. Keep asking yourself why until you get there. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Fail faster, <laughs> please, Dad. <laughs> We want to go to college. <laughs> Fail faster. <laughs> so you've, you've taken a few animals with this thing. Tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, you know, there is no greater pleasure than being able to, you know, put in the work and being able to hold the, you know, the fruits of your labor in your hand and then go out. And sure. The, the test of all tests is, yeah, it works against the target, but when you're actually out there in the field – can, can you ethically harvest something with it? And I went to Texas. Um, you know, it's just the development cycle left me with December. <laughs> what are you going to do? Go to Texas. Yep. yep. So we wound up in West Texas in December. And there was a guide out there. And I said, you know, I'm really interested in a low fence situation. I'd like to, you know, see if we can get some whitetail, you know, possibly some hog. He said... You know, I've got a ten thousand acre ranch. It's all it is low fence. What's low? F- describe low fence. So low fence just means the animals can jump or go under a fence from one property to another. Okay, yeah. so it's free range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at least until they run into some high fence on another ten thousand acre, wherever it is. Sure. Yeah, but at least that particular ten thousand acre, it's just wherever they go and whatever. And it's an incredible amount. Of, I mean, I. I became a quick fan of uh, West Texas. Um, I went out in Blackwater Guide Service. Just a little shout-out to those guys. Uh, awesome. I mean, just this guy's been doing it since he was 20. You know, I'm not great at filming my own hunts. You know, potentially that's a skill I need to get. But he was wonderful. He had all those kind of things. was all set up, real professional. 
And it always sat in a ground blind. And I don't do a lot of ground blind hunting in Pennsylvania. I was, sure. You know, it's, you're in trees. Yeah, I was on yep. public land and climbers. And so it was kind of a unique experience. And we go out there and, you know, set up on a Sendero. And it's just incredible the amount of whitetails you see, you know, kind of cruising around the lanes of the Senderos. And we found a beautiful, uh, just it wasn't massive, you know, it was like a 120, but yeah. it just had character, kind of those, you know, uh, brow tines that go billy goat backwards on yeah. you, and just a kind of a cool kicker, and you're like, that's a cool buck. <laughs> Boy, I hope he, you know, I hope he comes a little bit closer. So sure enough, he came in with about 20 yards. He was following some, uh, they were basically... Um, does it hadn't been bred out for cycle and so he came right because they were right there you know and i'm like i'm not normally on to take a doe right here with the first harvest i'd really like to take a buck um you know any other day i probably wouldn't care but on this particular i'm thinking you know let's put in the work let's get a buck and sure enough he he was following these does and they kind of moved past about 20 yards um, got it, just a perfect broadside shot and just right behind the shoulder, full pass through, and uh, he piled up on film. I mean, that's awesome. What what more? I mean, for the first hunt, what more can you hope for? Some fantastic pictures. Oh, yeah. uh, really cool. And then I think you were telling us earlier you, got, you shot a hog that same trip, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I I had you know I. I was I just wanted a nice buck and I got the buck that I wanted. And he said, "Hey, let's hey, you got some time left. Let's go after some hog." And uh, they have those setups, you know. They kind of uh, they have feeders out there for yeah, sure. Yeah, tons, yeah. Of, tons of hog and um, this hog. Come, the biggest one we saw that evening uh, came around a feeder, and I said, kind of looked at it and I said, "I promise you, I'm not that guy, but I honestly want to try for a spine shot." You know, we do a lot of hog hunting out in California. And, yeah. And out in Texas, they have even more than what we have. And I just said, I really want to see if I can put it there. And sure enough, I mean, it was a it was a chip shot. It was a 15-yarder. Yeah. But, I mean, this thing literally jumped up in its place. It dropped to the ground quivering and shot a fountain of blood into the air. I mean, now, unfortunately... Sorry, Blackwater. You jumped the gun, man. You put the thing on TikTok oh. before you could brand us. <laughs> but, oh, no, it was, it was epic. It was epic. And congratulations to them. It was good footage and great service. And that was a fun hunt, you know, eating tacos on that for a while, you yeah. know. <laughs> Pale <You> Pastor. <laughs> couldn't ask for a better result with your new yeah. crossbow, like yeah, harvesting yeah, it, two animals and you know, and, and we—that was really the first release of actual footage that wasn't just sort of the stock stuff of you know, sort of pictures of the bow or, you know, just sort of target shooting type footage. It was really like, hey, you know, this is a—you can actually, you know, harvest sure. game with this weapon in situations, you know, like a lot of our audience would be, uh, you know, find themselves hunting in. So yep. can see it with your own eyes. It was a proud day. It really was. A lot of work. I mean, it was just, let's say eight years in. Man. That's a, that's yeah. a long time. Yes, it, took, it is. It took you eight years to develop that, huh? Yeah. I mean, it, there's it. honestly, this industry is built up, quite honestly, a lot of people who just have a passion for it. Um, there are no, there's no universities of hunting products. 
there's no universities of hunting media. Um, the people that do this do this because, as you know, you guys are well aware, we love this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we, we want to um, build a community around what we do and we want to protect what we do. Um, and that, you know, you need infrastructure and you need people that want to be, make that community. And, you know, you guys are a part of that. And, you know, people try to say, well, you know, you know, podcasting, how, you know, how's that hunting? It's like, oh, no, no, no. This is, this is, we're top of mind. We're talking about this. We're bringing out the issues. We're talking about the things that keep us relevant that talk about in the, in the challenging modern America that has forgotten where it's come from. Yep. How do we how do we hold on to what we want to keep? Yep, exactly. We're 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 doing it, you know. And, and the people that are hunting and, and, and participating in it, you know, to all various levels, you're part of this. Absolutely. I agree. We, uh, I mean, how much have we learned from different podcasts, YouTube channels? I listen to a podcast every day to and from work. So yeah. at least for the past year, I've listened to one almost every day. Everybody has something to teach you. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. That's, I couldn't imagine not learning more about something that I love. I just want to nerd out on it all the time, which my wife hates me for. But <laughs> You know, every, everybody has, you know, it, it's impossible to do it all. And everybody has a unique perspective. And, you know, it, it, if you take the time to appreciate, you know, the perspective they have on, you know, what we, what we're doing you know in the, in the hunting community you can learn a lot oh, yeah. if you're anything like us you love running trail cameras recently we started using the new r4g and r4k by black eight hunting products and i've got to tell you guys they are sweet the r4g is the new cellular camera loaded with features such as the ability to send pictures and videos straight to your mobile device, free HD downloads for both pics and videos, near real-time in-app setting updates, and no-glow IR technology. The R4K is a scouting camera that boasts side motion sensors that help you capture crystal clear 32 megapixel photos and 4K videos in center frame. With a maximum SD capacity of 512 gigabytes, that's right, 512 gigabytes, you'll have plenty of room to hold all those 4K videos and high-resolution pictures. Blackgate supports this podcast, so we are asking you to support them. When you go to buy cameras, use the promo code FUELED to receive 10% off your order. That's FUELED, F-U-E-L-E-D, at blackgatehunting.com. So let's talk a little bit about specs sure. on the F1. Yeah. Sure. It's, you know, specs and what makes it so different. Because you sure. had talked about it's not just a crossword. It's, yeah. it's like a new category. It is. You know, we, when I wrote down a list of things that I'd like to improve, you know, how do you come up with a list? You just start, like, bringing things. Out. It, it comes from, like... We, I think we all get into that space when we're on a 12-hour sit on public land in a tree stand waiting on some backyard buck <laughs> to somehow cross 900 acres of public land on a, on a, on a you know, rut-filled whim 
and you know have your you know swamp donkey appear or your <laughs> you know miracle 160 inch rose eating backyard buck <laughs> that nobody's ever seen you know uh, appear and you have a lot of time to think you know and a lot of times what I thought was and you know I think a lot of people identify with this is you ever been on that hunt and you get into a way that you just you have a, you're having a bad day you're out there hunting oh, yeah. you're just balled up somehow and on one particular day in Pennsylvania and I, and I lived uh, I lived very near to a place called Ridley Creek State Park and it's about eight or nine hundred acres surrounded by suburban Philadelphia I was on a weekday when most people were working and I was having a miserable day everybody else was working and I'm having a miserable day who am I I literally had to check myself and I'm like wait a second it, it kind of a light bulb went off it's like you should be appreciating this day number one and then the second thought was like you know what yes all the hunting what would it take to ap- appreciate my hunting experiences more how can I get more out of my hunting days and it doesn't mean necessarily like more gear it doesn't even mean different gear it's like what are the things that contribute to a great day and that all you guys know you're going to walk out of, the, of, of your stand without a buck more days than you're not yes <laughs> Is, those days are all going to be miserable no, no. <laughs> they better not be. You're going to be a miserable human being, right? <laughs> oh, I'm dude. Like, Come on. So I'm thinking to myself, look, if you're not enjoying every bit of, you know, the, the, you know, God's grace that he's granted you to be out here and doing this instead of, like, grinding away, you're doing it wrong. So it really got me onto how... Think about how to make someone's hunting experience better. And sometimes that's taking away the things that get in the way of enjoying that experience. And for me, I, I really loved, um, you know, I, I hunted with a crossbow quite a bit just because, I mean, I hunted with a compound a lot before the kids came around. When the, the kids came around, I hunted with the crossbow. I was like, you know what, I love this thing, but I, the limbs are in the way. Mm-hmm. I got a climber stand. Let's get those out of the way. You know, I've, those types of things wind up on the list because that contributes to a better day. You know, you know what bothers me? Safety. You know, safety issues. Is, you know, string break for me is okay, but in my kid, not not good. You know, how do I make sure that you you know have something that, you know you develop that doesn't hurt the kid? So that's the kinds of things how you start to develop this, and you that's what drives the technology. And it, it, things that show up is that is that a go or a no go in development, instantly answered. You know, that's what forms that te- technology. You know, there's a million iterations of things that get you from a large spring in a tube to you know finished crossbow, um, and a million stories of oh, try spear gun rubber. Why can't you use that? Oh, on cold days, it doesn't recoil all the way works perfect in the ocean because the temperatures are always relatively stable mm-hmm. on land 
the temperatures vary with the air temperature wildly. So, you know, oh, yes, on one day your speed is 200 feet per second. The next day it's 350 feet per second. It's like not dependable. Okay, that's why we don't use slingshots. That's why slingshots aren't illegal, you know, legal <laughs> means of slinging arrows in, in a lot of whitetail states. You know, that's why we need, you know, limbs of some kinds and more solid, reliable propulsion systems. So, uh, you know, this is the kind of thinking that, that, that guides, you know, this type of technology. Um, and it's not linear. It's just fail. Why did I fail? Learn. Change. And this is what gets you, you know, the, the first incarnations of the Lancet actually had extension springs. Really? Yeah. Thing like I got spear gun. <laughs> wow. Yeah, there was a whole life there uh, where we had a great propulsion system, you know, with our uh, drive system. But, you know, with the spring system, it makes a weird noise, and it's long. Yeah. Uh, and you know you're talking to industry professionals and you're listening to feedback from people who know what they're doing and they'll tell you it makes a weird sound it's too long you know so you take that back and you're like all right well maybe we need to look at something more compact oh you know what torsion technology you know that's very compact reliable it's got all the kinds of things we were looking for doesn't make the noise let's go that direction so this is the kind of thing it, I can't encourage our audience enough and as you guys know you, you learn from what doesn't work and you if you listen to people and don't take it personally and they, a lot of people are really just trying to help you they're saying hey I hunt you know, this isn't going to work for me you know I know you worked a long time hard to get this far listen to those people they're not they're not trying to hate on you they actually, it, it can help, you know. Yeah. When people see something they like, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Hunt, hunting consumers will let you know if they like it or if they don't like it. Oh, oh yeah. So, you guys, I mean, I'm going to turn a little bit of the flip. <laughs> Products you loved at first sight. To, at the ATA? Anywhere. Anywhere? Anywhere. Like, the first time you saw a product and you were like, I'm in love with that thing. I'm getting it. And it was like, you got it, and you were like, this is legit. Uh, man, that's tough. Right? I guess, I guess I'll go, because I'm going go. through a transition now. Not yeah. A hunting transition. Oh, man. A hunting style. I always going to take the one that I've looked. Yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> you Damn talk it, about that one. You make up yours. <laughs> so, I... When did I get into mobile, being more mobile? This past year, really, I was pretty much all mobile, but I dabbled in it year before. <laughs> I got the Lone Wolf Assault 2. Yeah. Which is what a lot of guys run. Yeah. Um, but I hunted a lot of public this year, and I had that and my sticks on my back, and I liked the system at first. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I used it on uh, some of the private lands I hunt, hop around different trees. And then I get it on public, and I... My wife and I moved to Kentucky this year. Yeah. So all of my hunting in Kentucky was on public land. Right. right. No, no private places to hunt. In early season, it's it's pretty hot. Oh yeah. And the assault too, it's it's a little bit heavier than a lot of the newer stuff hitting the market to, 
today. Right. Um, as we saw at the ATA, there's all kinds of stuff out now. Um, but I was in love with it at first. I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. going to be mobile. like this much better than the climber I've had before. And, man, going through the thickets and the places I was hunting and up and down the hills, after this season, I was like, I need to find a new system. Like something else that's going to allow me to be a little bit more mobile where I'm not, you know, sweating my ass off in the heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I just got a saddle um, this past Christmas, actually. Uh, so I guess that is an example of where I fell in love with the product. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I used it. I liked it. The more I used it in the places I was hunting, yeah. the, the less I started liking it. Yeah. Yeah, the... Uh, the Method two, when you look at the box, yeah, it screams professionalism. I get like it's just the box is covered in topographical maps. Yeah, and being public landers, you you love that's the kind like our waypoints on our hats and yep. wherever that is. Um, just little stuff like that just hits you different and. Uh, you can tell when somebody puts a lot into their product, so right. I, I agree, stole my thing. I, I, I didn't think of it fast yeah. enough. I, I'll say, so I'm very fortunate that I get to play with a lot of toys. So there's a couple things that stick out in my mind from this year. Um, the Hunting Beast Gear stand okay. was just, we. Uh, he probably remembers the face I made. Uh, it's on our YouTube channel, and when I pull it out, like it's a real, uh, real life thing. We didn't stage it or anything like yeah. that. Like I pulled it out of the box. Yeah. And you're used to 14 pound, 12 pound hang-ons, and I carried around a summit climber for yeah. years, and yeah. um, then I got a some kind of an XOP. I forget what it was, but it was still like I might as well with four sticks. I might as well have had a climber. Right. Dude, I pulled that thing out of the box, and yeah. I thought it was just the platform, not the whole stand. <laughs> right. And I, like, ripped it out, and I'm like, whoa, well, that's just... No, that's the... Holy shit, that thing's light. Yeah. Like, I think it was 6.8 pounds. Wow. Yeah, it's super light, wow. so... Uh, that, the... I've got um, water bottles away more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the uh, the one stick. And, and to, to put an example um, out there, you know, your... I'm going to plug you here. <laughs> Um, the fact that you put your crossbow in an SKB case, right? Like, yeah, little things like that. Well, that's right. not really little. That's different sure. than a cardboard box, but it's still you yeah. see that, and you're like, yeah, All right. This guy cares about his brand and right. and how it's treated and how it's received and everything. Yeah. So, um, pretty impressive to me. I think it's the details, right? I I would say, yeah, yeah. Well. I'm I'm very uh, I'm like hyper aware when it comes to details. Yeah. So, um, it you, you always notice that anybody that's great at anything, it's uh, Tom Brady, uh, you know Michael Jordan, all these guys, they're not like gifted people. No. They're they're hard, they're workers. hard workers and. They do not let the little things go. The little details are what they focus on, and then they create new little details to focus on. Exactly. And and that's why they're beating everybody. 
Wait, you, I mean, I think one thing that, you know, really helps, you know, you in these types of endeavors is, you know, you always have your customer in mind. You know, when you're making decisions, you, if you, if you keep yourself, you know, if you're reading, if you're listening to people, if you're talking to a lot of your friends, if you're talking to a lot of people who hunt kindred spirits, doing the reading, uh, listening to podcasts, um, understanding where things are heading, where the, where, the, where the future looks like it's heading, where legislation and things like that looks like it's heading, and you're taking all that in and processing it, and you're making decisions based on that, and you're, that's what helps you make yes-no decisions on details. And, and there's real obvious like things you don't even need to consider. You know, but it, you know, on close calls, it's like, yeah, you know what? The right thing to do here. Uh, here's an example, okay? So let's be honest. So I'll throw this out. You know, let's, go with, let's have a fun round of crossbow <laughs> stereotypes. <laughs> crossbows do things. What, they're evil. What, what bad things do crossbows do? So throw some out. Come I'm on, let's go. Shoot a deer at 163 yards. Right. With a crossbow. Right. So what? We'd need rifle-like speed to have something beat a casual gait of a deer stepping forward. In order, your point of aim was at the heart. The deer casually steps forward, but at 100 yards, even traveling at 500 feet per second, you hit the deer in the butt. Oh, shot in a miss. Right. Other things like, you know, crossbows. Oh, they, oh, they're always blowing up. Oh, strings. All right, let's talk about strings. Let's talk about crossbow strings. We, there's one technology, okay? The whole industry uses it. It's, it's, it's basically a, a Denema-type high, ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene. We all use the same molecule for bow strings. I don't care what brand you call it. You know, Denema... Uh, whatever, you got different strands that they make out of it. That's the rate limiting factor. You know, crossbows try to make things really compact, press a lot of power and speed and accuracy. Um, yeah, we're all using the same technology. Sorry, cheater. We don't. We don't. We're not chemical scientists. We're crossbow people. We're archers. And, you know, we depend on the chemical people to bring the BASS of the world to bring us, you know, the, the, the 3Ms of the world to create these types of amazing spiderweb type polymers to, that we can then use. And, the, you know, all sorts of other fishing people are out using this stuff. Um, long story short, you know, you just have sometimes you just have to own up to it. It's like, look, so if you're going to go through a lot of string... Why are you going to charge your customers a lot of money for string? Yeah. I will, you know, for us, we'll provide you factory strings replacements, three strings for $35 retail. That's pretty good. Yeah. And you can change the strings and cables yourself with pocket tools. You don't need any other bow press. You can do it on the tailgate of a truck in the middle of the field. How many other, you know, how many other people think of that kind of stuff? And right. You know, I would, I want you to keep your stuff in good shape. Yeah. Right? I, you know, it's, it's not good for us if stuff doesn't go right with your, your bow. Right. If you shoot it 
for 20 shots and you have a question about the string, should you have to sweat, you know, traveling from, you know, you probably live rural. You got to go to find maybe one of the last, you know, remaining uh, archery specialty shops that can do a good job respringing it. And during the season, good luck because yeah. they're all tied up and they're bow presses. Oh, dude. Here you can do your own. And if it costs you, you know, 10 bucks a string, change it. Right. You know, you have a high-quality product. Just treat it right. You know, it, these things aren't rifles. I mean, you can't just, you know, you can abuse a rifle, right? I'm sure right. we have all got, like, the 30-30 we never, ever cleaned, ever. But somehow it still just, like, beautifully labors on. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, hopefully there's a day in archery where we have that. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I, any of you guys seen this product yet? Please tell me. Right. <laughs> right. So it's like, that's a, kind of an example. So it's like, you know what? Maybe you don't need to make a dollar on every single thing. Maybe it's doing the right thing for your customers and, you know, providing them with reasonably priced replacement strings so that they can keep their crossbows in tip-top shop. So then they're not questionably pulling the trigger on something they're not quite certain about and certainly having a child do that I'm sorry that's yep. outside of my uh, my zone of comfort <laughs> yep. but that's one of the things I really liked about your crossbow I mean like you said the strings are you know made out of the same material as all the other strings that's kind of your rate limiting factor on a lot of these other crossbows and sure Let's be honest, the newer crossbows that are coming out today with the reverse limbs and all that, like I don't know anyone that's confident enough to change those strings themselves. Right. So they're going to go out to their shop. Sure. And then the shop's going to sure. cost them, I don't know, $100 or so to just switch the strings on yeah. there. You could, like you said, a yeah. couple pocket tools. Yeah. It's really easy, sure. real simple. You showed us sure. in a matter of minutes. Absolutely. And then... Well, and, and, and this is, you know, this is unique. This is interesting. You, you talk about the dealers, you know, and, and they're part of our community, you know, and, and we embrace them. And, you know, initially we were a little concerned. It's like, boy, are you know, are you alienating a, a critical part of our uh, community by offering your customer the ability to do this? And there's a couple answers for it, uh, you know. And we didn't know till after we were working with dealers. See, the first year, we just sold direct. We didn't have any dealers. The second year, this year, has really been the first year we've been able to engage with dealers and present them with this offering. And I was like, I was a little nervous, honestly. I was like, I didn't want him to be angry, but I'm like, I'm really trying to, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing by, we, you and I have the same customer, okay? And I, and I also have you as my customer in addition, Right. Um, and I want to do the right thing by both of you because that's the best outcome, right? Yeah. Because we're all rowing the same direction here. Yep. I know that. It's I good mean, I, I appreciate a dealer. Um, so when we're talking to our dealers and, and, and trying this model out, the feedback we got was I was thankful that it was positive. Um, overwhelmingly, they said, look, you have a very simple stringing system. You know, during times that are really difficult, when a lot of people want to service their bows, when we got lines for bow presses out the door, and we can't service a lot of customers that require bow presses, your crossbow, we can service for a customer if they're not confident in doing themselves without a bow press. You know, 
and sometimes they have part-time, you know, folks that help out during surge seasons when yep. they're trying to get all the customers done. And they're like, look, the Lancehead people kind of get an express lane because I don't type a bow press. I can use the, you know, there's a, a, a guy, you know, a local guy who helps out with a part-time labor pinch when it's busy, you know, and it's the summer. And he can learn how to do this very easily because your own customers, most a lot of them can do it themselves. And we can turn that thing around often ahead of line, you know, yep. no bow press. And, and that helps us help them, you know, and it's at a very reasonable, uh, a reasonable cost. And, it, it, and it's good for us, too, because, you know, a lot of bow uh, retailers will tell you, it, you know, they'll do repair because they are in the service business, too, but... You know, that's dodgy. A lot of times these repairs are outside their control. If there's a factory part that needs replacing, that's not within their ability. They have a certain amount that they're able to actually service before they have to get a manufacturer involved. And the manufacturers, we're seasonal. It's just a, you know, during pinch points, the manufacturers are under a lot of gun to be able to turn things around and get you back and back in the field too. That can't always happen. And a lot of people, how many good seasons do you have in your life? You yeah. know, where we prime earning years where you can actually go and enjoy this stuff sure. before you, you know, run into the joint problems and health issues that, you know, we're all going to face. I mean, you've got, it's, you know, you take a look at it, you've probably got 20 <laughs> or 30 good, good, amazing seasons. Every one of those seasons counts. Mm. Yep. There are no wasted seasons. And then you talk about a trip. Where something could go wrong, I've I've got a uh, an internet buddy who runs a pretty solid YouTube, Stefana Schrock, with Schrock Outdoors. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he had an issue with his bow. Yeah. In Montana, elk hunting. Yeah. I think they drove like two and a half hours. Yeah. Just to go get his bow taken care of. Wow. Like, that's that's, you know six to eight hours yeah. of your time yeah. on a trip that's lasting yeah. eight to ten days maybe seven yeah. days whatever right. so that's a day gone yeah and then probably one deal. or two of those are driving each way so you know you're taking a lot of time away from you're not making money that day you're spending money that day and if oh, you're yeah. not making making enjoyment then yep that's a rough ride it's a I agree day. so your crossbow is how would you just describe it is it would you call it like torsion driven yeah so you know uh a lot of folks look at it and they're like what you know limbless crossbow what so you know and this is how i describe it look archery continues to evolve technology wise look you've got crossbows you've got recurve crossbows barnett has been around forever you know um, certainly compound crossbows, the 10 points, you know, you've got evolving categories that have come in and, in, 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 you know, at least recent memory, the reverse draw crossbows. Um, and this is really another just continuation of compound crossbows. It's like, Hey, we've changed limb shape before. We've got straight limbs. We've got recurve limbs. We've got limbs. We turn backwards. This is a limb you turn, you know, you mount it to the riser and it bends around itself and then it attaches to the cam. It's still flat material. It just happens to be metal. 
But there's a lot of benefits that come with that. You know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a torsion crossbow. All right. This is the next category in compound crossbows is the torsion crossbows. Um, and having those metal limbs, you don't worry about them. You're not going to have delamination. Uh, if, it, if they break a string, the limb's going to be fine. They're rated for a million cycles before they even think about giving up their torque spec. Wow. I mean, they're the same type of metal that's used in suspension and vehicles, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it allows us to be really compact and just you trust there's no blow up on the limb. You know, the shattering limb uh, carbon fiber is not a pretty scene. <laughs> no, no, it's not. You know, and, and unfortunately, a lot of times when you have a string break with a regular piece of archery equipment, your next thought has to be, yeah, we've got the, apparently no other damage, and yeah, we're going to string it back up. You almost got to wonder, with a brittle piece of material like that and, and a laminate material, are, do you have a small crack in there? You know, it's the same way you think about that chip on your windshield. Yeah. <laughs> Is it going to grow? Is it going to be that cold morning when it, it, it somehow turns from that annoying little chip to a crack that starts creeping all the way across <laughs> my center of vision? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Across the windshield. That, and that, that's unfortunately what you see in crossbows. And, you know, we're all on social media. We see every, you know, a lot of people you know go there to vent when things go wrong sure um, yep. and sometimes people on there are like yeah you know i had issues within the first five shots and it's, there's other people on the same brand same equipment same year release and they're like hey i've been working with this for eight months i've never had a problem the issue is production if you talk about what it takes to produce a laminate carbon fiber limb it's a little bit impressive, okay? You're talking about carbon fiber material, which is kind of like a fabric. Right? You have to infuse it with epoxy, laminate it, and you have to laminate it with another level of uh, you know, carbon fiber woven material, and you have to make sure that the weave patterns align in such a way, the humidity's right, the cure temperature's right, the chemical dispersion of how it's doing is consistent in batch when you're making thousands of these things. That's just to get the raw laminate. Now wow. you're going to go ahead and cut your limb pattern out of that. It's kind of like taking a piece of plywood and putting a router on it. If your router bit's not sharp, you got a very raggedy looking, you know, you cut something out and it's like, ooh, that's that peeled up half the laminate on that layer <laughs> just trying to get the, sh the, uh, the initial shape out before we even do anything. And we talk about that and the kinds of volumes we're talking about producing limbs, a small little crack. Maybe that crack happened in the... You can't even see it. Maybe it's a bubble that right. is in the laminate. I mean, think about what goes into producing a limb. And then you're going to put that thing under, what, 225 pounds of, you know, deflection? Time and time again. Time, and, 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 and you're going to rapidly deploy it, and it's going to have to deal with the shock load? All right. Yeah. That's why sometimes you just got a, 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 an unlucky hand, and mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, it's just as the manufacturer had drawn it up. Fortunately for us, when you're working with steel springs... And it's a torsion spring, you know. In any other industry, they would call this as 
let's have a little this is a funny little chat right this is this is where you get into it where's the bow where's the bow all right why is why is archery the only industry that calls a spring a limb it's wow a, you have a truck did anybody yeah. hear a truck right. your truck i've got leaf limbs is that what you got in the back? You go to the, you go to, yeah, you, right? You got leaf springs on the back of your truck that look like your bow. You go into the dealer. Something wrong with my, my bow suspension. This guy's like, this job just got profitable. Right? <laughs> Come on in. You also got a problem with the main bearing. <laughs> you know? And the undercoating on your paint may need some attention too. <laughs> He's like, we got a sucker. You know, I, I, I kid, but, you know, Right, limbs are flat springs, right? Yes. Uh, and we've we have changed their shape in the past. Am I wrong? Um, you know, we've taken you know longbows, oh, yeah. a flat strip of material and deflected it. That's sort of the beginning of, of archery. Then we took you know what a recurve shape to it actually adds benefit. Shaping the limb actually adds a benefit. Um, and as other manufacturers have found, oh, hey, if you turn the limbs. Facing the other way, like a, a reverse, you know, like a scorpion or a nice bow like that. Oh, you actually get a longer draw power stroke that can drive more performance. Well, this is a continuation of that. You know, now you have here a limb that you never have to worry about. A torsion spring or a torsion limb, as we're calling it in archery, has been used to keep time. It's a clock spring. You need to go back to Europe. Imagine having to use something mechanical to measure the hours of a day or the minutes of a day, seconds of a day. The reliability is such with this type of, you know, quote-unquote arcane technology that that's the kind of precision you can have with it. I mean, you can make metal, you know, the variance tolerance on that stuff can go down to one thou, you know, and that's, that's a very tight tolerance. And in production... Steel is extremely reliable. Yes. Now you coat that so it doesn't have any, you know, it doesn't rust or anything like that. It doesn't have any corrosion. And you've got something. You know, you can put that in a really tight space and load it with a lot of stress and strain. Mm-hmm. And that, that's how bows are. They're stress and strain, right? So there's a lot of torsion technology. And we generate a 24-inch power stroke with that that is completely linear. And so somebody's like, well, why is a linear draw stroke better? Well, if you're trying to be compact, you've got something that gently loads the carbon fiber arrow, you know, it, or bolt. You know, it's sending it off there. Real, you're not trying cam profiles. I mean, we've all had compound bows, right? Yes. Some of them have pretty, you know, they try to be small and compact too. Well, you know, we've got the the 28 inch you know axle to axle compounds because we like a compound you know but to compensate for less you know axle to axle and still drive the power we got to put heavy you know crazy profile cams in there it's a, it's a really hard to keep those in timing right I mean we've all yeah. had this buzz yeah. you know they've, other technologies come out with rounder cams to try to make that even out but you're punching and the archer's paradox, and you're putting a lot of, you know, you're putting a lot of vibration into that arrow. 
it's tough to maintain downrange accuracy when you're sending that something off that violently. Yes. If you've got a long, compact stroke like you do on a recurve, you can get away with a lower spine because you don't have that. It's smooth. You almost have almost almost no archer's paradox. And by the, you know five years out, uh, five yards out, if you look at that uh, arrow in like you know you use like a high speed camera in slow motion, it's on a laser. It's not vibrating at all. So it's recovering really well. Yeah, really fast. Oh, amazing recovery. So that's downrange accuracy. I mean, that's all what we're, you know. That's what we're looking for. We're not advocating you know necessarily you know taking shots out to 100 yards or anything like that. We're just saying, like, look, you, we're all looking for accuracy, right? Sure. We want to put – that's ethical. We want to put that arrow where we want it to go and do it every time. And here's a product that can do that in a compact space. It's reliable and safe, you know, and, and it's going to let me do that, put more power there without compromising that. That's a cool technology. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that that's why, you know, you look at this and you're like, oh, I mean, even if you, even if you're like the guy who's saying, "Oh, okay, me, skinny crossbow," you know, some guys are <laughs> arrow chucker, <laughs> arrow launcher, <laughs> uh, spear gun. You know, it's like, all right, like yeah, whatever, whatever, you know, <laughs> hey, whatever floats your boat. Um, so that you know, that's really interesting. Yeah. And, so, uh, so to give the audience an idea of of how compact it is, like, what are the specs on the width? Like, how sure. wide is it? You know, you take a look at a bow like this. It's three point nine inches wide. All the time. I mean, 3.9. The axle to axle. And it, this is a fun thing. Our axle axle is 2 inches, and we're 3.9 always. Cocked, uncocked, doesn't matter. You know, this is a funny thing to do, and, and, and I've always chuckled with the axle to axle because it's gotten a little carried away. Mm-hmm. Let's oh, be honest. absolutely. Well, I don't know where you're going. I don't know if you're thinking the same hey. as me. but Well, let me, let me, let's do the wife test. <laughs> I love it. Let's do a parable. Sweetie, I have a 30-inch waist. She's looking at my midsection. <laughs> 30 inches, huh? You probably were 30 inches when you were 18. And I'm like, what do you mean? Between the belt loops, I am a 30-inch waist. And that's what we're dealing with, Axel and Axel. I mean, what, what does it mean? If, if your cams are hanging off and Thank you're you. cocked and you're 15 inches wide and then that's cocked and then you, you shoot the thing and it's, you know, 20 inches wide, what, what exactly does your axle actually, actually measure? Yep, that's what, that's, I crack up on some of these people that buy these short axle-to-axle bows, right. 30 and 28 inches, and the cams are the size of dinner plates. Yeah. And you're like... You, you realize you don't have a shorter bow, right? Right. You understand that. Nope. Yeah. They don't know it. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's a little funky. We, we actually don't, um, you know, we don't, we, we just talk about the width, the, the width of the bow, the physical width of the bow. Um, and, you know, it is the most compact possible thing, both width-wise and height-wise. You know, there's other technology that's cool. There's bows out there that are sort of like, you know, vertical bows, but they're crossbow. And those are cool. You know, they're light. They're fun. You know, it's funny. I'm a fan of a lot of this stuff, too. It's cool. Sure. I, you know, 
there's no one product for everybody. You know, you know we got a lot of benefits that are going to be beneficial to a lot of our audience. And there's things that we can't do. You know, we're a little heavier than, than some of the bows, but you know, it, it's carryable. At 3.9 inches wide, I can put this bow on my shoulder, and I can anybody could carry in a climber stand. That's a hard thing to do with it. Have you ever tried to put a crossbow over your shoulder and carry in a climber and your backpack into a public land spot or anywhere you're hunting? It's like juggling a circus. Yes. You're 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 constantly paranoid that the limbs are going to make contact with some hard surface on the on the climber. Ding. And did it. Bite the carbon fiber limb. Right. The, the question, I, the, the, this crazy image I have on my mind, and, and I mean, I public land hunted in Pennsylvania for, you know, 15 years on the regular, mornings and, and you know, evenings for the four months you had pretty much start to finish. You got, like here, like real long, long seasons. Yeah. Yep. And every time, and you, public land, you're trying to just get in deep, deeper than the other guy. Into the, into the special spot that somehow, you know, you could just not have somebody else walk through your set and spoil your afternoon. And, uh, you know, you, you've got this thing on your back, and you, you got to get into confined spaces and get into other spaces and bramble around. And all the while, you're just hoping, please don't that limb hit a sharp edge or a, a, a corner or a, a metal biting spot where it's yep. going to just put that nick in your windshield glass and blow the, you know, yeah. be the next blow up. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a little hiring. And certainly when you're in the stand, you got a deer comes in, you're, you know, you're going to play, you know, Russian roulette. You have how close your bow can get to the tree or the stand. It, you got a, a beautiful buck standing there and you're thinking, I wonder when I pull the trigger, if my limbs or cam are going to clear the tree or, you know, the part of the stand that's right next to me. Or any more, I guess more recently. I, I this isn't for me. You guys would be probably more familiar. You know, I got a four or five thousand dollar DSLR camera on a special kind of setup because I want to capture the moment for myself and the rest of the internet. And and will it clear the camera? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's an expensive day. Yes, that is. is a very expensive day. It's like that's a t- actually that's a testimony to the buck. It's like. This buck was that good. I was willing to take the risk. I thought it was 180 inches. Screw the camera. I'm pulling the trigger. Tell you what. We didn't make it that day. The deer lived. The bow didn't. The camera didn't. And we missed the deer entirely. But it was an ethical hunt. It was an expensive day. Expensive day. That's a nightmare. Right? I'm gonna, that's going to haunt my dream. Just wanted to take a second to tell you about all our other content. If you're on Facebook, head on over to the Fueled by the Outdoors Facebook page. We currently have over 18,000 members of people who love the outdoors, from the mobile hunter all the way to the hiking enthusiast. Come interact and talk all things outdoors with a robust community of people. Fan of product reviews, fishing, hunting videos? Go check out the Fueled by the Outdoors YouTube channel. If there's any topic or content you would like for us to cover, just send us a message. And if you like what you're seeing and hearing, then hit that join or subscribe button. We hope all our content fuels your passion for the outdoors.
with having a limbless crossbow, I can only imagine the oh, yeah. obstacles that you faced. Uh, right. Different states, different laws, beliefs. Well, that you know, because that's what you see, right? You look at this crossbow; it's covered up for safety. You know, we do have the coil limbs under there, and when you see that, your knee-jerk reaction. And it's not unwarranted. You know, nobody's seen these things before. It's like the first time you ever saw a motorcycle with fairings. And I, I'm dating myself now. A lot of your audience can be, what are you talking about? All <laughs> Don't all motorcycles have fairings and covered up like the bullet bikes? They all look like Ducatis or Honda Interceptors or Kawasaki Ninjas or I don't even know what. It's the first thing I thought of when you said fairing. Right? I was like, oh. Yeah. I mean, I, I put myself back in 1985 looking at a Honda Interceptor. I'm like. What's that thing run off of? Like, plutonium? <laughs> Back to the future? What are we doing? <laughs> you know? Where's the dock? Where's Marty McFly? Where are you going? You know, where's the bell tower? And more importantly, where's my date? No, I'm kidding. I just, but you know what I'm saying? It's like that shock factor. It's like, and you're talking to good people in sporting goods. They know stuff. Like, when you do stuff this radical and you've worked on it this long, most, most companies don't, you know, they come up with incremental stuff. You're not shocked by what you see. They might come up with a cool incarnation, but you know kind of, oh, yeah, based on that, oh, I see what they did there. That was cool. This is kind of out of nowhere, you know, and I get that, and I respect that. I'm not telling anybody, like, hey, you're an idiot. Oh, you know what we're doing here? Uh. You know, no, I I get you. If I saw this thing for the other time, I'm like, oh, what's that? You know, some kind of some type of air gun. You know, this is a thing shooting like a blank. You know, some propul. What has this work? Yeah. Where what limbs? So you know, you pull those covers off, and you absolutely have limbs. And yeah, you're right. Um, you you go to the state state, and you're like, hey, we got a torsion crossbow, and they're like, they're doing the same thing. What bow? And that's where you take it. You take the covers off, and you show them how these flat. You know, albeit you know, spiral limbs, and you show them, hey, there's a little riser, and it runs through our frame just like everybody else has got, you know, their frame, and they put the riser on there, and they attach one end of the limb to the riser and the other end of that limb to the cam. We do it, but we do it in such a compact space that it spirals around itself and attaches. So you really kind of have to get it in front of their grill and show them. It's really hard to just send a picture and be like, you see? Right. Yeah. They're like, what am I even looking at? Yeah. So some, a lot, you know, there's been plenty of states who have been like, you know, with a little explanation and a, and a little bit of conversation, we're very understanding and we're really excited to work with states. You know, we understand we're partners in this. You know, we understand manufacturers. You know, we pay federal excise taxes. These taxes are what supports all the things that we love. You know, there's not a lot of, not, you know, license money helps, but it's not footing the bill for what no. we do. You know, what this community does, what you guys do, what the retailers do, what the manufacturers do, what we're all in partnership to do is manage this wildlife resource and these are the dollars that go in and let us have the control. Yep. You know, otherwise you're going to turn this over to taxpayer dollars out of general funds, and, then and you're going to let voter sentiment. You know, and we've seen what voter sentiment has done. So, 
you go back to the and you talk to the states and when you're able to explain you know what your technology is and how it is and the safety aspects you see a lot of people start nodding their heads and recently um you know uh we worked with states like uh just georgia you know they have questions you know they have fairly generous hunting laws are very aligned with a lot of the conservation things as a lot of the southern states are very very eager you know and their laws are very um pro hunt hunting and you know very embraced by the communities a lot of the northern people are very envious you know of a lot of the regulations that these people are able to enjoy um and they just want a little explanation. And you go in and, you know, we speak with the, spoke with the folks at the DNR in Georgia, you know, from the head all the way through their whole organization. It's a lot of head nodding. You know, it's like, okay, we see what you're trying to do here. Okay, you know, you're not trying to get an unfair advantage. You know, you're not trying to somehow sneak into this season and, you know, shoot, you know, have a, something that's, you know, a rifle right. in archery season. You know, you don't have, you know, this is a safety thing. This is a, you know, helping hunters have, you know, better opportunity and participation and, you know, helping them get more out of what they're doing. But this isn't some crazy, like, automatic weapon. You know, you're not. Right. And that's, I think, what they really care about. I think when you look at these management, you know, what they're really trying to do is say, hey, we want participation in the season, but... We understand that a muzzle loader has a different, a, a unique, you know, advantages and disadvantages versus archery equipment, and sure. we understand that a rifle has different advantages. And you know, it, they even thin split this stuff. I mean, have you, you've seen the probably the straight wall uh, stuff that's common? So, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and you have, you know, they're willing to work with you, but they really have to understand and digest the technology. It's hard to stay on top of. I mean, it's hard enough for us to stay on top sure. of the technology. And you're talking about states that got to deal with it all. I mean, these, these folks have got a lot to digest. So, you know, it, it's a matter of working with them. Um, recently, you know, Indiana took a really hard look at it. And, they, you know, getting their due. I mean, they really took a stern look at it and wanted to really make sure they were doing the right thing. And it just came down to, are these limbs? And their uh, administrative law judge... It, you know, got into legal definitions and what are normal and ordinary definitions of limbs. And it, it gets fairly esoteric, but, I mean, it's like, you know, a limb is like an external part of a body in its plainest and ordinary language. Yes. You know, and in, in this context, it's this, the long arm of the law, the human limb. It's... It's the active part of a body. And they're, they, so they look at those ordinary differences. But they don't just look at that. They look at saying, okay, in limb and archery, what has been the context of limbs and archery? All right, we've got longbows with flat limbs. We've seen recurve limbs. They've seen the reverse. Limbs. But they've gone to things that aren't even on the market anymore. I mean, it was interesting to me. You know, they, they were able to look and consider things that it, had been done in ancient times. Wow. There's a reflex bow. I don't know. Have you ever seen a Korean reflex bow? I think I know exactly what you're talking about. It ag- It is a 360-degree bow when it's unstrung. And then when you string the thing up, it's got the most insane recurve profile 
So it's with the Mongol shot. Is that the one that basically looks like it's got a bow backwards? Yes. On the front of it? It's like yeah. a C with... Yeah. It's, it's like, like a, a damn Oneida. <laughs> correct. But it's like a C where the ends of the C actually crisscross each other yeah. when it's unstrung. Wow. It literally is more than 360 degrees. And then you string it back, and it's the craziest. It, 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 it's really what the, how the Mongols conquered <laughs> Asia. It, it, it's a very short bow with a huge recurve profile, and it's amazing to be able to shoot right off a horse. Okay. But you have to go back and study history to understand all the implementations of archery. And, and so this, I mean, this is kind of the charge for these folks, is they've not only got to consider the commercial definitions within archery, but they have to go back and consider the context of what has been historically considered archery? This might blow your mind. Have you ever heard of a Chinese double bow? Wow, no. no oh, I, have not. I can show you a bow that ha- in you know Ming Dynasty printed Chinese rice paper prints that's hundreds of years old that shows two recurved bows that are one faces forward like you'd expect to, attached to a stock. The other faces towards you. There's strings that couple both limbs, and when you pull the string, they enact both limbs to come in on each other, imparting an insane amount of power in a shorter stroke. All right, they consider that kind of stuff, right? Wow. But very few, you know, this doesn't exist on the market today. We don't have double bows. There's no commercial. I mean, the twin strike, but that both of those. Bows, you know, those bows are configured to face the same sure. way. These bows counteract each other on and only one shot. That has existed. Somebody could actually come out with something cool like that. That'd be yeah. a neat product. I mean, yeah. like, hey, we've brought back to life the Chinese double bow. And it's this, like, cool, narrower, you know, that could exist. And with modern material, it, I don't know, maybe I'm seeing some pretty good ideas. <laughs> keep these for myself. But, hey, somebody out in the audience. Go make a cool modern Chinese double bow and bring it to market. I'll buy, I'll buy them. Right? I own a lot of this. I own a lot of stuff too. I'm fans of most of my competition. I, I, I love what they do. I love their ideas. I, I, you know, I'm not like, oh, it's it's just Lance Head or Bus. I like what we do. I know what we're doing. I know why we're doing it. I know where we fit in the marketplace. Um, but I'm part of the community, man. I mean. Yep. Yeah, we're, right. We're all hunters. We're we all are consumers. all rowing the same direction yes, we are. because there's well, a whole population out there that ain't. We're yep. we're all trying to get in the same direction, and it seems like a lot of people row against their own boat. And yeah, that you know, it's okay to not like yeah. crossbows, to not want to shoot a crossbow yeah, sure. or whatever. And and I get even you know even myself. I I think that um, there should be a certain specific season for crossbows sure. to give. Guys with trad gear or compounds, you know, the first couple weeks or whatever, the first crack, um, like K- Kentucky does. And yeah. uh, I'm cool with that. But I, I also think that, um, you know, they're a great tool and they're not just for women and children and, you know, the handicapped. Sure. I mean, in my opinion, there's a lot of people that get high on themselves and then they go out there and they wound a deer because really they didn't practice enough or don't have any business right. shooting a bow in the first place. Right. But if they would have had a crossbow, right. they'd have been fine. Now, yeah, there's a lot of people. Well, I don't know that there's a lot of people. There's this like stigma that now that crossbows can shoot farther, 
everybody's shooting 100 yards. I can't right. shoot 100 yards in the woods. Right. Like, we can't. You can't see that far most no, of the time. No, like, it's so You'd be so lucky to see 35 yards. Yeah, yeah, it's so thick that, yeah. you know, if you get a 40-yard shot, yeah. Yeah. I just think a lot of people with yeah. bows, with crossbows, yeah. they they take ill-advised shots. And, and I think that, I don't think a bunch of these people are wounding deer at well, 112 it, yards. Know, yeah, and, you know, I, I mean, I think anybody with any weapon is probably, and, you know, you you get enough collection of people that are doing that, that there's probably somebody in every segment who's taking shots beyond what their capabilities are. I mean, one of the things I think you have to look at is we are trying to manage, you know, our wildlife with the kinds of technology that modern society is just moving so fast that it's in the rear view mirror. Yeah. And modern society puts so many more pressures on just our average people, you know, people who have grown up hunting or have found hunting but are forced to deal with these insane work hours you know, being, you know, with COVID, being cooped up at home. Um, and they just don't have the opportunity. I mean, if you're on, I mean, if you're on, I, you know, you, we're all probably living with COVID people who are on conference calls 12 hours a day now. Yes. Their usual normal work hours were actually a little bit better when they were yes. in the office. Now there's no excuse for them not to be, when are you going to go practice archery? Right. You might be in stellar physical condition. You might wake up at three thirty in the morning and go work out before the call start, you know. And then you're you're trying to find time to go sling arrows, and it takes a lot. It's not like riding a bike. It I mean, is you've got to, you know, you. Let, let's be honest. You you've done a little bit of competition. A little bit. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> How fast does that wear off? I mean, I am ne- I'm never going to be as good as what, you know, the comp- competitive level. I've never competed in a, in a day. I get to a level where I feel confident, where I feel I'm the right thing. And if I feel that my limit is 25 yards, and I'm fairly conservative, you know, I won't take the shot. I, I mean, and that might mean I might cry in the woods because <laughs> I am just never going to see that unicorn again. Right. But honestly, how would you say for yourself – how quickly do your skills fade? For competition level? Yeah. Pretty quick. For me, I'm yeah. a head case. Um, yeah. Josh knows that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if, if I were to Josh go through competition season. <laughs> so to give you a perfect example, um, I am on pins and needles when I go on family vacation because I can't take my bow and shoot right. it every day. Right. I... I have practice in the morning, and then yeah. I have practice around lunch once the yeah. kids go down. Right. And then I practice in the evening, and then yeah. every once in a while when I found time, there would be practice in between those sure. sessions. Now, that's only you know 20 or 30 sure. arrows, right. but you're, you're shooting nearly 100 arrows a day. So let's just say, I know, so you're a person on the bell curve of all the people out there shooting arrows who probably shoots way more arrows than anybody and certainly competition people versus hunting people probably shoot competition people shoot way more arrows than your hunting crowd if i just said i'm gonna let's just pretend today you're no longer a competition archery minded guy you can't pick up a bow again what's it we're in january 
you're not going to pick up a bow again until August. And you're going to pick it up on August 15th. How comfortable are you going to be to... My, my bow? How much time are you going to need? It's uh, You're you. Oh. As a competition guy who has won a lot of international archery competitions, you're gonna, I'm not going to let you touch a bow. Right? Oh, Let's pretend you're an average, normal hunter. And so a guy like me, I get super busy. I'm into camping season. I'm into all sorts of other stuff. I like... I'm not going to pick, even think about picking up my bow again until maybe August when I'm, okay, fishing season campus is over. I got through summer vacation. I'm looking towards fall schedules and getting the kids back in school and all the other things that life demands of us in these crazy times. And how comfortable do you, a competition archer, feel picking up that bow August 15th knowing that your season might open up September 15th? With the time that you have, this is you, not just a regular guy. Competition archer, pick up the bow. How much work are you going to need to put up to feel confident to hunt? Not compete, hunt. To hunt? Me, I'd feel pretty confident, but I, my standards are a little different when I'm hunting. I know that I know that um, I can use a range finder, and I know, because a lot of that yeah, yeah. is... Um, yeah. Just the technology you can't use in competition. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'd feel decently confident, but my mind would be wrecked. What are you saying? Like, how much practice? So, August 15th, you've got a month. How much How much practice do you feel you would want to have to get out and do the kind of archery hunting that you want with live targets, not archery yeah. competition, yeah. live targets I mean, where I'd, your heart's pumping and you I'd, know the I'd drill? I'd feel okay if I got to practice Every day, I mean, I okay. like how I, many I people have every day between yeah, right and 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 I'm very uh, fortunate right. to have an archery sort of range, if you will, right in my yard, right, so, right which allows right. that most you don't people have to don't. get out to. A I don't range. know how people compete and not be able to go in yeah. their yard and shoot and yeah. all that. Well, I'm just saying, you know, here you are, you know, you've been a competition guy. You're starting August 15th, and now you're saying. Just to even hunt after not even touching a bow for what nine months, he could have had a baby in that. Time. I mean, I, well, oh man, especially me. <laughs> yeah. I, I probably have another one when I get home. Um, I mean, I also, I also can't on, uh, honestly answer it because I don't know that I've ever done that before. And right, I like that would be very uncharted uh, yeah. territory so, for me. This is this is what. Many, many, many hunters deal with. So, you look at bringing in a, in a crossbow into this situation, it's hard to fault a guy. And you're saying, look, you're owned up to it. You're saying, you know what? I don't have the time. There's a lot going on. I still want to do this. I still want to get out in here. And I appreciate what you're saying. You're saying, hey, maybe let these guys go first. Maybe thin slice it. Put these guys first, these guys first, this guy's in the pecking order, kind of like Kentucky does it. No problem. Yeah. We can all participate. However, they are, the state yep. decides to order it on degree of advantage. You know, right. That's, right. that's, that's, that's for every exactly state right. to kind of decide. But, you know, certainly there is a place for a lot of the things that we're all using, right? Yeah, and and let me be clear, that comes from a selfish perspective. Sure. That that's because I want 
a crack at a deer that of course you, well, you know, yes, that, that it's it's not like a yeah. well they're all going to die if we let the yeah. crossbow guys go, you know <laughs> even though if you haven't if you have not even though you're a crossbow guy yeah if you have not seen the sketch uh the skit excuse me with hitler and the nazis ah. have you seen it yes <laughs> that is the funniest yeah. I've ever watched. No, it is so it's hilarious because it's literally, uh, you know, almost every, anybody that knocks crossbows. Oh yeah, they're literally just like that. It's yeah, so yeah, funny. No. Anywho, it, go ahead. No, it, look, it, it all goes back to look. There's a place for everybody wants to participate here. How do states do it? You know, how we all work it out with ourselves, but I think we all have to keep the big picture in mind. What we're all trying to do, like we are a sure. small. I mean, how how many how many how many bow crossbow hunters do we have in the population? Eight million, maybe. Man, I've never. I mean, these are just hunters. Up. Yeah. I mean, you you maybe have sixteen to fifteen million people in the United States. What is our population now? What three hundred and twenty million? Three hundred thirty yeah, million people. Somewhere around there. You got. Archers, we may have. I don't even know what the latest numbers are. 17 million. I think they didn't do a good job during COVID. I rem- I'm like going back to the old estimates. You know, when we life was normal, we could keep those kind of stats. Now you're just like, okay, people that hunt with a bow, which is a, is a sub segment. And I mean, we are a very small voice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we, the population was 100 million. You know, this little 8 million population, maybe even less than that, would be like, what, 8% or yeah. even less than that of the population. We're 300 million. We're, in the best case, we're like 4% of the population. Very small community. In, in fighting and, 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 you know, who's going to get the first crack? And let's, let, and let's let the entire population take over this thing and, and, and vote with, you know, their heart and sentiment. <laughs> right. You know, when we now have control of this thing and we're able to fund it and take care of it and manage it and, and do it, you know, now's not the time to be infighting. It, I agree. It yeah. is not. I agree. It is I, not. Uh, it is not. I feel pretty strong with, you know, you as you peruse our, our group page there, you'll see that we, we really don't allow anybody to bash a whole lot of anything just because we're all on the same team Um, unless it's a certain brand that makes in heavy quotes mobile gear we won't we won't mention their bird of prey name but um, they're pretty they're pretty rough when it comes to their sticks well yeah I mean here's what you find our our community ultimately gets a vote for their dollars I, I am not a person for limiting your choices. I, who am I to tell you what's right for you? Yeah. I don't want you to right. tell me what's right for me. Exactly. And, you know, I understand the, f- the fairness and advantage and priority in seasons, and I get that. You know, there, there's, a, there's a place for everything that will fall into place. You know, I don't think that anything should be stricken. You know, find a place to organize it and participate accordingly based upon, you know, what that state and those people feel like. But that's how they want to run their state, and I get that. Yeah. Let's go that way. Let's not just carte blanche. 
had knee-jerk reactions. I mean, yeah. Let's let's talk about controversial stuff. Airbows. You know, I can we have airbows? I mean, we have. You know, why not? I'd is there totally, a place for it? it I think there is a Guy place for him. Guy wants to shoot an airbow. He wants to shoot a straight right. You know, he wants to shoot an inline cartridge. He wants to shoot a crossbow. Find a place for him. Sure. He wants to participate. Find a place. Yeah. Right. Let's segment it out. Figured out. It's it's not a big deal to me. But again, you know, just like I was talking about with different seasons, yeah. give them a season. Yeah, it doesn't have to be right. the whole archery season. If if somebody wants to go get an arrow and hunt sure. for a week or two or you awesome. know whatever they do, great, go nuts. Good. Yep. Whatever Good. floats your boat. If it's because you're you're going to have like eleven and a half people in the yeah. entire freaking U.S. Yeah. that have an arrow. Sure. So does it matter? Sure. And. So I have a, a unique perspective. So a lot of people I come into contact, you know, the guys who just, they've only ever really lived on the East Coast. And the perspective is very, very different. You know, you've got a lot of private land out here. Yeah. You've got the a deer population that really is more problematic than anything else. Yes. Right? I mean, the auto industry would love for nothing more to have less yeah. deer and auto collisions. Give the yes. poor people in New Jersey those damn airbows. And let sure. them just go through and massacre those However they want to organize that. But certainly, you, you know, you juxtapose that against I've lived in the West. And it, it's a very, very, very different situation. We have nowhere yeah. near the sort of, a, you know, the, the, the concentration of abundance, you know, that you do. We just don't have that, you know, in certain areas, that sort of thing. And so, you know, you have very different management goals. And I think, you know... Not that you're, I don't still think that that means that there, you can't find a way for people to participate. Um, you know, I don't necessarily, I'm not saying that it's being done correctly now. Um, I, I'm all for, let's find a way for all these people to participate. Yes, respecting. Um, let's not be having seasons where certain things have sort of, you know, necessarily different advantages and that kind of thing. Just let people participate, and uh, that's where we, you know, that's where we win. Yeah, you know, let, let them go enjoy their hunt. It's their hunt. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we, we we talked about you know having time and everything, and I'm I'm extremely blessed to have way more time to do something like that than right. a lot of people. Well, at least I was. Now I got like 17 or 18 kids. Nah. So, but. <laughs> A lot of people still don't have the time that I do or am able to make. Yeah, right. You know, they and sure. it's just at the end of the day, if a guy wants to go spend a week with a rifle or a crossbow, or yeah. if he wants to go with an outfitter or a yeah. high fence or whatever he sure. wants to do, leave the guy alone and let him yeah. go do it. Yeah. You know, if it's legal, go nuts. Yeah. Totally. So that's, that's kind of where we come from and try to try to stick to our guns on that one. So, oh, for sure. We want to have you back on at some point and talk Absolutely. some uh, some sweet John stories because oh, we cause got some good. Ones. I, I I'll be honest, uh, you know, we could probably do two or three podcasts with some amazing stories. We yeah. learned about Ishi tonight. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I know some other. There's been some other folks who cover him, but he, he's a he's a wild. He's you know one of the OGs. Yeah, honestly, certainly. When, when you're when you're when when your Walmart is at the end of your bow tip, 
right? You're like, that's how, that's what, that's the grocery store. That's a, can you imagine? He's a yeah. cool dude. Okay. Yeah. I'm it's literally the Western, uh, quite honestly, the last of the Mohicans, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. On I'm the a, Western I'm gonna side. I'm going to have to watch that documentary. It, it, it's a phenomenal deal. Um, I know uh, some other folks have touched upon it, but it's, it's inspiring. It That's really pretty is. Neat. It I'm really pretty is. pumped to check out the documentary as well. Yep. Absolutely. So we're at about an hour 25. Um, Josh, got any closing thoughts? Concluders, Yanni. Concluders. Well, I, I'm i going to let John go. Plug his company. Tell us. Give us a quick breakdown of all the specs yeah. for for our listeners so that way they sure. have a good just general over, overview. Sure. And then... then then we'll come back to me and I. Okay. I think I have a, a concluder in, in mind. Okay. Go ahead, John. Good deal. Hey, I just want to thank the audience for tuning in. You know, uh, folks like this are committed to what we do, and I'm a, I'm a privileged to be joining them this evening and, you know, talk about the crossbow and talk about, you know, all the things that we love. Um, I just encourage you to, you know, take your kids out hunting. It's not going to be a selfish, product-driven message. It's just, here's what I want you to do. Take your kids hunting. <laughs> That's all I want you to do. Yep. And, and get them out there. If you have a mentored youth program where you can take your kids out before they're eligible for a license, please take them out. That's when you can get them excited about this. Um, you know, I really wish I could have ta- had that opportunity where I could have been out there participating uh, you know, unfortunately, with the situation that I ran into, I just couldn't have that opportunity. We didn't feel, my wife and I didn't feel comfortable. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, now I, you know, I have college age kids, high school, senior, you know, and they just, it's not in the guts. You know, it's just not in their DNA. They'll do a little, wa- they'll go out and do some waterfowling with dad, some high action, you know, quick morning hunt type stuff. Oh, yeah. But I just, you know, it, 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 it hurts. It hurts my heart a little bit that I couldn't. So just spend the time. And when you're out there in that ground blind, it's just not It's just not about always seeing the deer. Make it fun. You know, have treats and snacks and tell fun fart stories. And <laughs> all, the, all the things that make it memorable and exciting. Because we're not always going to be seeing this deer. We're not always going to be having a shot opportunity. It's about this golden times that we've all spent out in the woods together and you yep. guys all know this and just start those little babies out there you know <laughs> early please 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 take them out take them out take them out yes all Amen i say it's out oh we're, we're back to me now Go, yeah well yeah your name's <laughs> so, josh so kind of a, along those lines of getting the little ones involved I mean, that's one of the things i took away from you know when you first showed us your crossbow is that as you were real big on the safety aspect of it, um, which goes back to, you know, getting young kids involved. And a lot of, a lot of times they get involved with, that's the first thing they use is a crossbow. And, right. and that's what, you know, partially what you wanted to focus on with your, with your crossbow and the innovation is just the safety aspect is, you know, next level, right? It's, that's part of the innovation is the safety aspect of it. And that's, kind of my concluder is why I think, yeah. you know, people uh, should take a look at it. And yeah, I, I definitely recommend doing that. Um, first off, I want to say sorry or you're welcome for tuning in to the Chargers Raiders game tonight. 
Uh, they sat us in this corner over here, and it was actually relatively quiet. And then people came into the bar, they cranked the TVs up, and here we are. But this is where we had to podcast, and uh, it is something different. I hope it um, you know, comes out well uh, on our, our listeners' end. But uh, with that said, it's been really fun. It's been awesome to meet John today and talk with him and um, you know, just share a bunch of stories and and I'd encourage everybody to to do that. Um, I think you know to go along the lines of what John hit on a little bit with not making it so much about you know a successful hunt or whatever you know inches and antlers and all that. Um, get out with your buddies and and go make a memory. And that might be you going to help your buddy pack out a deer at midnight on a. Tuesday night. Pick up the phone. Yeah, pick up the phone, man. Like, I, I'm a man in need. A like, man indeed. <laughs> and the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is when when you get a call or a text or something like that. The most recent one for me is definitely Bob. Oh yeah. When he was talking about that, I kind of jokingly said, "Oh yeah, we'll go run him down" because we knew that we had a track job ahead of us. Right. Well, I didn't know what I was getting into. I mean, I'm there either way, but I thought I was donating my time and tiredness, if you will, uh, to not find a deer, and we ended up running the thing down, actually. Oh, wow. And, and wow. we, like, that'll be on our YouTube uh, later on this summer when the expo happens, but um, I was exhausted. My youngest son had croup. And, and so, like, I get home and my wife is up with my distraught child. And that sucked. But now, when I think back, I'm like, man, I'm so glad I went. Like, that was the most epic track job. And we got, you know, to give you an idea, we got started at, like, 9.45 at night. Ooh. We got home at 3 a.m. Mm. 3 there. freaking <laughs> o'clock. There. And, and I was like... Okay, cool. I'm going to take care of three kids tomorrow and like have two hours of sleep if my son decides to sleep tonight. Right. But when I look back, man, those like the the bad crazy weather hunts, the buddies texting you late at night yeah, to help sure. track or whatever, like those are the things you will remember over the sunny day where you got plenty of sleep and everybody was well rested. Right. You know what I mean? So um, I'd encourage people to get outside their comfort zone a little bit and maybe go go suffer and make a memory. Um, That's right. But with that said, I can't thank you enough for uh, yes, coming you. on and, oh, and uh, sharing all your sweet stories today. Yeah. I, I definitely it's, do want to have you back on to just talk absolutely. history and oh, hunting yeah. and everything. But Absolutely. Um, just for our, our listeners, we finalized our building for the Mobile Hunters Expo a couple of days ago. That will be July 29th, 30th, and 31st. Um, it's going to be a hell of an event. So if you're a mobile hunter or an aspiring mobile hunter, or you just want to come out and get your deer scored, come out, check it out. It'll be in Adams County, Ohio, uh, Winchester. Um, it'll be a great time. So... Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, have a great day. This has been Fueled by the Outdoors. I've been your host, Chris Leppert, joined by uh, co-host Josh Luck. And tonight we had our guest, John 
Palanich on. Thank you very much and have a great day.